you gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you wanna be judged on wood brain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next when they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy Ice Cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. What's up? This is Manny Digital. Welcome to another episode of the Dribble and Dimes podcast. I'm sitting here with a living legend. Uh, this gentleman has been a head coach now for coming on 39 years. Uh, he's, I mean, had countless hundreds of, of players come through and he's molded them just from, you know, regular kids to really outstanding gentlemen for the most part. He's had a hand in developing four NBA uh, pros. Uh, some of them you might know household names like Rafer Alston, uh, Mr. Mr. Royal Ivy, now coach, uh, assistant coach of the New York Knicks, Dwayne Coswell, uh, and a whole, whole bunch of other names that have been up and down the collegiate ranks. Um, he's been coaching at his current school uh, for, like I said, 39 years, but he was also a student there. Um, played baseball, basketball, and also soccer, I just came to find out. And he's just, I mean, you talk to anyone in circles of New York City basketball, his name rings bells everywhere. With us today, like I mentioned, a living legend, Mr. Ron Niclario. Well, I'm glad to be here. I don't know about being a living legend. Uh, that's my, that's for me to say. You don't have to take it. I'm giving but, it. Uh, yeah, at least I'm living. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm not familiar with Cardozo like I think I should be, right? I, I know the name because of you. Right, what it's attached to you. That's how I learned about Cardozo, um, and obviously just knowing, like you know, at the at the surface basketball around New York City, um, Ray for Alston and some of the names that come out of your school um, have been well documented. Uh, but it's funny when I talk to a lot of the folks that come on the show and your name comes up, there's always a smile, right? A big smirk comes on the face of everyone, and and I come to find out it's like. The, the common thing amongst these folks is he's a hard ass, but he's one hell of a guy, right? Well, I mean, is it, would you agree? Is that how uh, you, you see know, yourself? You know what? I was very, very lucky that I was instilled by my father, Dr. Amon Leclerio, that and my mom, Gloria Leclerio, that, you know, you want to have fun, but the fun is based after the hard work. So if you put the hard work in, and without hard work, you're not going to have success. Uh, you know, when you grow up, you're a kid, you know, you start cursing, you use a lot of four-letter words. Mm -hmm. uh, as a coach, a lot of kids think hard work are four-letter words. <laughs> and unfortunately, kids think they're working as hard as they can, and they don't realize that they can work even harder. And that's one of the things that I think people don't realize, my hustle, intensity, desire that I had as a baseball and basketball player. I took over as a coach. Mm. And when I took over for Al Madikin, the coach of Cardozo, he saw something in me that, you know, I didn't know. But he told me when I took over for him, after assisting him for six years uh, when I was in college, and then two years when I was in the minor leagues with the Chicago White Sox, 
he said that there are going to be a couple of things that are going to be really, really hard for you. He goes, one, 99% of the players are not going to have the love, hustle, intensity, desire for what you want to do as you. And two, he goes, when you lose a game, it's going to be gnawing at you for hours, hours, maybe even days. Hmm. Some actually are still gnawing at me years later. Mm -hmm. And he says, kids, 20 minutes after the game, they'll go see their girlfriend and they'll go get something to eat and they'll totally forget about it. And then the third thing is, you know, he had a thing then that, you know, no matter how good you do and how good your players do, you know, sometimes you got to be lucky with a, with a call or, or unlucky with a call. Uh, or, you know, a lucky shot. Uh, I remember we lost to boys and girls at the Garden in 2009, and I still remember the point guard, Antoine Slaughter, leaving his feet to throw an alley-oop to Leroy Flood, and my big man, Ryan Rooms, actually read it, and Antoine Slaughter read it, and he was coming down on the fast break, so he gunned it at the basket, and... It banked in for a three. And, wow. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. You know, could have hit the rim and rolled around out of it. Had to go in. Like you said, it's luck, right? Some you some of it good, is luck. You got to be lucky. I mean, you know, what did I do when we won the city championship in 2014 to get Shamari Pons with 11 seconds to go to miss the one-on-one? -on -one? And what did I get Ray Salnev to do to hit the two foul shots down one with two seconds to go? You didn't even look at those foul shots, right? <laughs> You had your eyes closed. Yeah, I mean, people remember that. They had it on me. I was just praying, and I couldn't look. I mean, because there was so many years of pain. Yeah. So many years of pain, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching losses since we won it in 1999 that it was like uh, I couldn't look. And mm. when the first one in, you know, I quickly looked to the bench and the people behind the bench cheering, and I said it went in, went in. And one of the kids said, yeah, and I quickly looked. And I saw the score tied. Then I quickly told the ref, if the next shot goes in, I want a timeout. I quickly ran to the scorer's table to ask if I had a timeout. They said I had two. I just wanted to make sure. Mm. So I went back to just, Yeah. if you have video of it, you can see that I did not see it. Yeah. But I've seen it many, many times on video that. That was great. That was that was special. You, you mentioned Ray uh, Salnave. He, that kid is he's a problem in in the best of ways. Like on the basketball court, the kid is a phenomenal athlete. I know he's at Monmouth now. Yeah. How how was it developing him? Because I know he, you say a lot I mean, about him. He, he, you know, when people say who was your favorite, who was your best, you can't do that. That's like if you have five kids, who's your favorite kid, who's your least favorite kid. But I can say this. Ray Salnave, his real name is Rayshon Salnave. Mm -hmm. His mom would get me mad if I called him Ray. But Rayshon <laughs> Salnave was probably the one player on that I've coached that wanted to win as much as me and took losses as tough as me. Mm. And I, gotta, I have the books uh, in some cubicle at Cardozo. And I think his lifetime record at Cardozo in three years on the varsity was 90 wins and nine losses. And two SNY Invitational Championships, an MVP, an MVP in the city championship game. Uh, unfortunately, a city championship loss his senior year, a junior year to Wings. But uh, he had an incredible, incredible high school career. As far as giving headaches, he gave a lot of players and mm -hmm. coaches headaches. But when he came into Cardozo, he was giving me a headache. <laughs> yeah, he'll yeah. tell, he'll, he says that also. Yeah, yeah. and... Uh, 
How do you write that ship? Because I'm sure that's not the first time you've encountered no, it's, knucklehead but, syndrome. But, you know, it takes time. You're not going to knock it off in 10 minutes. But, you know, it's a process. You know, one, they're young. He was 14 when he came to Cardoza. So it wasn't going to happen in 14 minutes or 14 weeks or even 14 months. But he slowly but surely, and when we butted heads, you know, I'd go by his house, speak to him. I had a great assistant coach, Billy Medley, you know, become like a surrogate father to him. And we broke him down in certain things and certain things we just let him be. Mm. You know, when he came in, it was amazing because everybody said, and Ray said it on a couple of podcasts, that it would be a perfect match right, for us to, you know, be together, him be a player, me be a coach. And then he said he couldn't believe after the first couple of months he said, he goes, people thought I was crazy. He would say, <laughs> the Clario's crazier than me. So, right. But uh, I love coaching him. I could coach him any day of the week. I mean, you know, seeing him graduate was one of the great things because seeing him go to college, uh, getting that scholarship, going D1. In fact, we still go to a lot of his games now. Uh, we already got penciled in November 9th. Practice will be ending early on a Saturday. We'll be going to Hofstra to watch Hofstra play Monmouth, where Tariq Colburn, who was also on that team with Ray, won a city championship when they both sophomores. Average double figures for Hofstra starting last year will be playing each other. So that's one of those days that mm. they better not guard each other. Right, right. <laughs> I hope they both don't miss a shot. And uh, the Cardoza faithful will be there rooting for both of them to keep on setting their goals high and reach for the stars. If we if we think about just the, the trend that we see, and it's been picking up over the years, right, where you got – the local talent not necessarily sticking around all that often, right, in, in these programs. You've been fortunate to keep, oh, in this case, Ray, right, all four years, which for somebody, again, I, I didn't get to see him live, but from the highlights that I've been able to watch, I mean, the kid looks like a stellar athlete yeah. and a smart basketball player. No, he really is. He's a student of the game. So how do you maintain, how, how do you avoid somebody like him leaving to a prep program somewhere? Well, I had one young man. Jermaine Lawrence leave not only before seeing he left right in the middle oh, wow. of his junior year, January 5th. But that was, we had somebody close to the program trying to do something, and that person started thinking they knew more than myself and the coaching staff, and all of a sudden had all the answers. And mm. that person got to the mother. The mother started listening. The mother was naive. She didn't trust everything. You know, His this was a young man that came in, very weak student in a junior high that wasn't the toughest, 65 average. He had a 77 average at Cardozo. In fact, I remember the principal at that time, Jerry Matori, telling the mother with a little work, if he just gets better in five, in every class, five points, he's an 82 student at mm. a real tough school like Cardozo. Yeah. He ended up going to some prep school in Jersey and blew it. Wow. You know, ended up going D1 to Cincinnati, then uh, Manhattan. But when he was with me, not only was he getting Florida, Kansas, hmm. uh, St. John's, uh, so many other, uh, Syracuse, he had North Carolina and Duke coming up to see him. And unfortunately, he is the perfect example of a kid not listening to Coach DeClary or the coaching staff and listening to some outsider and not only did he ruin his basketball career I actually think he ruined his life because uh, he 
somehow dropped out of Manhattan College, doesn't even have a college degree to show for that. That's a damn shame. To, to me, and, and one of the, the pillars of this show is looking at achieving a, a college scholarship at whatever level as like, you know, the, the pinnacle, right? Or, or that, that real successful opportunity that ga- is garnered from the basketball, you know, all the years you know, of the basketball. people around me couldn't believe how hard I took it. You know, it wasn't about us winning or losing games. In fact, the following year, we won the city championship. Mm-hmm. But it was like, how do you not look at what we've done and send them there? But that just shows, you know, there are haters out there. They don't know what they're doing. And the one thing that I could actually say about this whole basketball business is that, you know, everybody attaches themselves to a kid or has a kid and they think they're going to be the next LeBron or the next... Zion Williamson, it's all about the dollar sign. Hmm. To me, it's not about the dollar sign. It's about having a life, a life skills. You got to have life skills. You got to be able to, to to go on in life and succeed. And what makes it even worse is that I lead, along with Lincoln High School, the most NBA players. And I say, look at how minuscule the Lincoln players are, NBA or the Cardoza players are. So it's almost impossible yeah. to get there. So I mean. You know, it's just one of those mind-boggling things that over years. And I remember about two years ago, I was going through something like this with two kids. You know, they know me. In fact, one of the kids' father, you know, I had in a junior high school in ISA. And I brought the two kids into, that was when I had this awesome office. And the kids came in, and they were a little scared. They were they were middle of their sophomore year, and I hear all the outside people, and I go to them, I go, listen, fellas, I, I got a couple of questions. They go, what, coach? I mean, did we do anything wrong? No, it's not what you're doing wrong. It's the way the game is now, the way the whole basketball society is. I said, look around this office. Tell me what you see. You say, see a lot of famous coaches. You know, you with Calipari, you with Jay Wright, you with Mike Krzyzewski, you with the NBA commissioner. What else do you see? They saw all these great players, Cardoza, kids that play D1. They saw great moments. They saw city championship highlights. So much history on the wall. They also see the Martin Luther King stuff and the Coretta Scott King stuff. So I go, what else do you see? He goes, all these accolades about you, coach. Oh, well, what, what do you what do you mean? He goes, you're a famous coach. You know so much. You're, you're, you're winning this coach. Oh, okay. So... Basically, on the high school level, you know, I'm considered something like a Mike Krzyzewski. Oh, yeah, that's good, coach. That's good. Yeah, we agree with you. So, <laughs> so, so let me ask you this then. So if you have this supposedly coach that's really well known, that, you know, and they see my Rolodex with all the major Division One coaches, NBA, you know, uh, players' names, NBA general managers, NBA coaches, all on my Rolodex, and I said, well, let me ask you this then. If you're here and you have me as your teacher, because basketball is a class that I'm teaching, you know, it's a four-year course, and I'm with you a lot more than any academic teacher mm-hmm. because with the summer. Let me ask you this then. How come when somebody on the street, some jive person starts talking about Cardozo, as a hater, or talking about me, I don't know anything, 
or I should be using you this way, <laughs> or I should be using that way. The guy never played, or if he did play, he was a sub at high school, or he'll tell you how good he was if he would have done this in class. So he's basically a loser in his chance to use basketball to get to right, college. to take the or, benefits from it. So then how come when he says something to you or your parents, how come they carry more weight than when I say it to you? And I'd like an answer. And they both looked down like puppy dogs and they were embarrassed because I didn't yell at them. I said, it's just amazing how I have all the answers to what you hopefully want to do, what you're trying to do, but you listen to guys that don't even know the questions. <laughs> but that's not just me. It's a lot of... You know, no, it's it's stuff. everywhere. It happens it's everywhere, everywhere, unfortunately. Um, you, you mentioned the teacher. So that's a nickname. I heard there's something tied to the Rucker. Yeah. Well, with respect to that, how did that name come about? Well, Greg Marius, may rest in peace, who ran the Rucker Entertainers basketball class. Yeah. And I were classmates at St. John's. Ah. In fact, he used to cheat off of me. That's how he got ah, to Ah, <laughs> look at that. So, you know, in the early 80s, he started running the EBC, and a friend of mine, Arnie Hershkowitz, and I, we would go by the Rucker because we were basketball junkies. And after three, four, five years of going by, he goes, why don't you guys put a team in? So... My friend Arnie Hirsch had a couple of guys that, you know, owned some restaurants that were looking to get a little more pub. So they put put a team in. And it was funny because we showing up to the Rucker and they got all these, you know, older guys. And we're coming up with high school kids. Yeah. You know, we're coming up with Conrad McRae, May Rest in Peace, Jamal mm. Faulkner, Ben Davis. Khalid Reeves, going on and on and on and on. And that actually made the Rucker be rejuvenated because it used to be older players, has-beens, or never-wases that are trying to reinvigorate, their reinvigorate themselves. So yeah. now all of a sudden we got these young kids, and all of a sudden a lot of the people like seeing the young kids. And we did something that it was amazing. We actually made the playoffs mm. at the Rucker with high school team mm. or kids that were freshmen going into their freshman year of college. Right. And it started getting hype, you know, and then other kids wanted to play in the Rucker, you know, other college guys. Then it was a lot easier because they didn't say rules that you can just show up. So a lot of the college stars would start playing. And that was before they had it gated off. And... We're playing a game one day. We're on the bench closest to Eighth uh, Avenue, and the crowd is there. So timeout. Hurst starts talking to the guys. You know, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm getting my ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah. You know, I can still play. And uh, timeout's over. And there's two little kids on the bench, about eleven, twelve years old. So my friend Hirsch goes, he's telling the kids, they got to get off the bench. You got to get, you know, get back in the crowd. So I start laughing. So Hirsch goes, why are you laughing? I go, do you know who these kids are? He goes, no. He goes, they're the two best young players in New York City. I go, what? I go, who's this kid? I go, his name is Stefan Marbury. Mm. I go, who's the other kid? He goes, his name is Ray Ralston. <laughs> so Hirsch took a liking to the kids. You know, he was always really good to the kids, taking them out to eat afterwards at, you know, sports bars, you know, give them the, the chicken fingers or the chicken wings. Hmm. And uh, 
the next time we have a game, Rafa shows up. His mother let him travel throughout the city. He was a young kid, PS40 in uh, Queens, near the, near IS8. So Hurst throws him a uniform. The uniform basically Baggy as hell. Baggy as hell. <laughs> so I remember Hirsch actually put him in the game as a 12-year-old. And I take the ball out, I give it to Rafa. And I knew Rafa could play. Yeah. See, I, I mean, even though I was 12, I mean, you know, a lot of the guys thought they were just going to, you know, bump him and take the ball from him. So he uh, gets the ball in the backcourt. Guy reaches. He goes between his legs, behind his back about 12 times. The guy can't get it. Then he all of a sudden, he spins, goes around two guys. And all of a sudden, two guys try to trap, and he splits them like a little a little nothing. And all of a sudden, he does some crazy windmill move. He goes up, and he gets his shot blocked. He goes out of bounds. But the crowd was like, what did we just what, see? What was that? The 94 feet. Right. So I'm laughing, and Duke Tango called him Shorty. Mm-hmm. His original nickname at the Rucker was Shorty. How he got the nickname Skip to My Lou was about two years later. He was 14 going on 15. And now he's playing 20, 25 minutes. You know, he's getting a little taller. He's still physically weak. With the team you guys put together. Yeah, yeah. We always, we had all these guys play. I mean, Mark Jackson, Royal mm-hmm. Ivy, Troy Jackson, you name it, you name it. Ron Artest, Lamar Odom, mm-hmm. Jaquim Noah, Danny Green. I mean, I could go on for, for hours. So uh, this was a game where we had to win, and it was. And I'm in there because Hirsch kind of knew that I wasn't that good, but I was smart enough when they were pressing to hop Break the, the rock press. and get a fast break. Yeah. So Rafer gets the ball in the corner. He gets trapped. So I realized, as a coach, I'm going to cut from the weak side to the middle. Hopefully, he sees me for the pass. To get out of the trap, and you know we'll handle, we'll handle the trap, and hopefully we will get a fast break. As I run, the referee blocks me. It was a chunky ref. Hmm. By the time I lose, you know, go past the ref, looking forward, I quickly look back. I hear noise because now all of a sudden Rafer is not trapped. How he got out of the trap, I don't know. Now he beats the first two guys. He skates by a third guy. Now he's near half court, and he starts skipping. He's bouncing <laughs> the ball, he starts skipping. So Duke Tango starts going, skip, skip, skip to my loop, skip, skip, skip to my loop. So now Rayford gets past the fourth guy. Now he turns it on overdrive. He bounces the ball. He does a left-hand windmill, right-hand windmill, catches it lefty, puts it between his leg, behind his back, left hand goes right, to Conrad McRae for a dunk. Uh, and that was it. The crowd ran on the court. It was insanity. Just like when Kevin Durant hit yeah. all those trees. And the word got out. Skip to my loop. Skip to my loop. Okay, so that's the genesis of Skip's name. Yeah. How did you get the teacher? Well, now here I am playing in all those games. And as we took it a little more seriously, you know, where we wanted to win, uh, certain game adjustments. My friend Hirsch knew he wasn't at that level. So I started coaching it 
and playing it. Mm. So now I would be from the sideline. Calling plays. Call, you know, you know, calling what we have to do or what we do on defense, switching the defense. So originally they called me the professor. Okay. But when I got in the game, I did some behind the back, between the leg pass move. And basically I schooled this one guy that went uh, to Syracuse. I leave his name out because he don't want to be embarrassed. So the guy. I think I know what it goes, is. <laughs> the guy said, I schooled him. A teacher at school. Yeah. So the next thing, I was it, the teacher. <laughs> and what's funny, to this day still, when I walk around Harlem, some people don't know me as Ron Neclario. Some people don't know me as Neclario. They don't know me as Coach Neclario. They know me as the teacher. That's funny. <laughs> from your Rucker. From, Rucker. They probably don't even know you coach. You're such a phenomenal coach from Cardozo. Well, you know what it is. That's why I'm one of the few guys that, Really is in tune to street basketball, AAU basketball, high school basketball, uh, uh, college basketball, and pro basketball. Mm. Oh, yeah, because you, you said it. You were a junkie. Yeah. So junkie. L- let's go back a little bit. Um, you mentioned at the Open your dad, Emil uh, Neclario, Dr. Emil Neclario. Um, and his when, when Dr. Martin Luther King ended up at Harlem Hospital and he was there was a stabbing that occurred back in the 50s, your dad was on his way with your mom to some gala, if I'm not mistaken. She, my mom and dad were on their way to the Waldorf Astoria for a wedding. Okay. Uh, he was in a tux. I must have been about a year and a half oh, wow. years old. And somehow... He was like on call or on something. On call. But there was, was no cell phones or beepers. I think the Waldorf Astoria is around 66, so he just... You hauled it up there, and anybody that's ever driven my father knows. He got there, quickly got into his scrubs, walked in there. The two black doctors were him and Horan because they knew who the patient was, and it was so dangerous because the knife, which was actually a letter opener, mm. was touching the aorta. Ooh. And for doctors that have a clue or for the general people out there, when you get stabbed, usually two things happen. You get stabbed in the chest. It's not near your heart. You know, you can survive. Doctor does what he has to do. Or you get stabbed in the heart. They penetrate the order and you drown in your own blood, like Dr. Martin Luther King said in his own speech. This was really, really risky because the, the, the knife was touching the aorta. And if Dr. King would have sneezed or coughed, like he said in his mm. speech, the knife penetrates the aorta, and once again, like he said in his speech, he would have drowned, you drown in your own blood. It was too dangerous to try to take the knife out. And in a, a documentary just came out, but there is a website called whsak.com. whsak.com. When Harlem Saved the King.com, there's a five minute trailer that on the trailer you have the police officer, Dr. Romano, I mean, the police officer, uh, Tom Romano. Was it Phil Romano saying that you needed someone to grab the bull by the horns? My father knew that time was of the essence. How do you tell somebody not to cough or sneeze? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was too dangerous to touch his chest because that might have caused the sensation to cause him to flinch, cough, or sneeze. My father quickly removes two ribs from the side, gets the knife out, does everything to save Dr. King's life. The next morning he gets up real early because he wanted to. He didn't want to take a chance any possible infection would occur. So he gets there, and 
He's changing Dr. King's dressing. Paparazzi sneak in. And that's the picture that has gone viral. Mm. On WHSAK.com, not only do they have the picture of that, they have live footage. footage. Yeah. I don't know how they got that. Yeah, I don't know. And, uh, but it is, uh, it is amazing. You know, they and, became very good friends. And I'm sure throughout history, your dad has been yeah. saving plenty of lives in yeah. the same regard. But well, my father... Ned Irish was also somebody that he came to the rescue of also, right? Uh, Ned Irish's secretary, Mary Malloy, he Malloy, saved right. her. Uh, he was eternally grateful. Uh, uh, Ned Irish said, you know, whatever you need, tickets. My father said, you know, what do you need? I got to do something besides tickets. So he goes, he goes, you have a son? He goes, yeah. Uh, does he like basketball? Yeah. He goes... I'll make him ball boy. So that's how I became Nick Ballboy. How long were you doing that? Oh, I did that from 1970 to 75. From that, I became wow. there. So I was around. I missed the first championship. Yep. But I was there for the second. But you caught the tail end of, or oh, Earl was still there. Oh, Earl, uh, right? Earl, and, Earl and I got to be very close. Wow. Well, Frazier, I have pictures. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, they were doing a documentary on SNY on me, and they actually have pictures of which I have of me being on the court as ball boy hmm. and when the president Steve Mills and all of the guys saw it was me they couldn't believe it <laughs> they couldn't believe it was me but uh, you know I have a lot of great times being ball boy I learned a lot I got tight with Red Holzman hmm. it was amazing in those days Red Holzman was on the bench by himself it was only Danny no Mills assistant. in the trailer there was no uh... So it's amazing. But I, you know, I remember my most embarrassing moment. I ended up hurting my leg bad, and I had a walking cast on. And I was being the ball boy. You know, sometimes you're the ball boy for the Nick bench. Sometimes you're the ball boy for the visiting bench. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're the ball boy underneath the basket. Under the basket is probably the best to be because unless they call you to mop the court, you're actually watching the game. Right. But when you're on the bench, you have duties. You know, you have to be ready to get the people water. You got to do all the little things in case you have to run back to the locker room to get something. You have to get the towels. You have to, you know, get the warm-ups when somebody substitutes in. So here it is a timeout. And I remember Cotton Fitzsimmons talking. And one of the Van Osdale brothers wanted water. And I had, and then it wasn't a water bottle. It right. was a tray with the little cups. Mm-hmm. And as I tried to navigate around a couple of the players, I lost my balance, and the water fell over everybody. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And Cottonfoot Simmons gave me a look, and I was like, oh, my God. You know? What did the players say? Were they pissed, or they were just like, ah. Well, you know, they kid. quickly get back because it was an important time. Yeah. Out. And it was a, I remember that game. Thank God Phoenix ended up winning that game by a couple. Because I didn't want, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I remember... You know, from that, I also used to work the college games uh, with a guy named Bubba Grimes, who I heard passed away, Greg Sabbath. Mm. Uh, and we slept over in the actual garden three times. Cause it was where time. do you sleep? We slept uh, once. There was this closet where we keep all the brooms and stuff. Mm. But twice, we actually slept on the trainer's table. Because it would be like we got out of the college game at like 11. By the time we cleared everything up, did the laundry, it was one one thirty, And we had to be back for the Nick game. On this, you know, it was a twelve o'clock nickname. Okay, so we did that, but we loved it as kids. Come That's on. amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. How, and, how, and of course, you know, before we would go to bed, we would take out some of the basketballs and happen to go to our park. Oh, uh, the park, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it was of course, your personal park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
What? So, I, I imagine you were enjoying or interested in basketball even before you became a yeah. ball boy. Do you remember how you fell into basketball? Well, you know what? Growing up then, the normal average kid played baseball in the spring and summer, football in the fall, basketball in the winter. Now it's not like that. It's become specialty. Yeah. Which I think is kind of bad. You know, it's kind of bad. I mean, there was an article, I want to say less than a year ago, where they said back in that day, the fact that you're playing different sports, you're working out different parts of your body, you're, yeah. you're actually prone to less injury. Yeah. Now you see... All sorts of things happen. When I was growing time. up, there was no such thing as an ACL or a torn right. cuff. Now, it's all the know. time. But I remember too in those days, like with Martin Luther King, uh, how my father and him hit it off, and uh, you know, we got the, it was going to take Dr. King approximately three months to be one hundred percent healthy, mm-hmm. and then three and a half months later, we got that historic letter, and. You know, Martin Luther King, with the Civil Rights Movement, he knew he had to come back to New York. He really hit it off with my father. And Coretta Scott King hit it off with my father. They, Coretta did not want Martin to come back to New York. Of course, after that. She, she was scared. And she wasn't only scared about the white people, but she was scared. She didn't trust a lot of the black people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was stabbed by a, a, a black lady. Yeah. So she kind of said, everybody called him Doc. Doc, when my husband comes back, if I can't accompany him, can you find the time? So my father found the time. (laughs) So my father started accompanying him a couple times. And they really got close. Really got close, you know. My father grew up kind of poor in Bushwick Mm -hmm. and Martin Luther King, where he grew up. But they would always throw things off another one another and they both respected each other's knowledge my father devised how to put the pacemakers in uh. and so now Coretta starts accompanying him so a couple of times they socialize there was a couple of restaurants I remember there was a steak place on 35th Street 37th Street because my father's office was 35 East 35th Street in Midtown Manhattan and when my father who would do a lot of lectures, like coaches, clinics, you go here and there to click, to speak. My father would always go to Atlanta to give speeches speeches on how to put the pacemakers in, and he would call Dr. King. Dr. King introduced him to his father, who he met also at the stabbing, and they became very tight. In fact, we have a beautiful book autographed from Dr. King, senior. Yep. You know, I think it was dated 1970 or 1980, but I have it upstairs, beautiful, historic. And uh, my father would also go to Atlanta, Tuskegee Institute, Mm -hmm. and he would sometimes, you know, Dr. King knew he was there. It's amazing how two people from two different worlds can all of a sudden gravitate toward each other, respect each other, respect each other's knowledge, and also feel so good in each other's comp connected because my father great felt great being around Martin Luther King Martin Luther King felt great being around my father hmm. you know and I think great minds like being together so that's true you know I remember about two years ago or was it three or four years ago I'm at a game in Lincoln Park in uh, not too far from Kennedy Airport Lamar Odom's Park place is packed and a guy named Rick Swillinger who coached Walton High School 
who now is coaching at Monroe Junior College. He's there to try to recruit some junior college kids. So he sees me from a distance watching these kids 19 and under. The game is over. We're getting ready for the next game. So he sits down. We start talking. And we start talking about this kid, that kid. So out of the clear blue, he goes, Ron, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. What does my father and Dr. Martin Luther King have in common? So I go, what? He says it again. So I go, do you know about my father, Martin Luther King? He goes, yeah, that's why I'm asking you. So I go, I don't know. He goes, your father saved my father's life and Dr. King's life. So I said, what? what did my father do to save your father's life? He goes, my father was driving in a car on the Cross Island Parkway, and a truck got on the highway wrongfully. And when it was going under an underpass, it jammed on its brakes, and the truck tilted over, collapsed on the car, and my father's lung was collapsed. Wow. And your father was there, saved my father's life. So he just happened to be he was rolling up, through as well. Yeah, yeah. Holy and then, shit. of course, once he was brought to the hospital, Swillinger's father wanted my father to be his surgeon. Uh, then there was another funny story because, hmm. you know, when you're young, you don't know, you learn, you think you know. I, was, I must have been five, six. I can't remember the exact age I was, but I'm upstairs in my bedroom sharing with my brother. And the phone rings. He was 22 months older than me. Unfortunately, I found him dead July 20th, 2002, mm. of a heart attack. That was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do was wow. come home and tell my mom I found her oldest son dead. <sighs> but getting back to that, so the phone's ringing, and my mom knew she couldn't because she had all of the stuff with the hand. Yeah, the pin. Get the all. phone, get the phone. So my father was finishing up a shower. Ronnie, get the phone. Ronnie, get the phone. So... I'm watching TV. Ronnie, get the phone. So I start running to the phone. They start yelling, who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? I didn't even get there yet. <laughs> so I pick up the phone. I answer the phone like they taught me. Dr. Naclerio and Mrs. Naclerio's residence. So they're yelling, who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? So I go, who's speaking? So they go, Ron, who's on the phone? So I go, I'm not sure. Some guy says he's a king. It was Dr. Ha. <laughs> How, so was that your first time speaking to him? Uh, and it was probably really brief. Yeah, I, well, I met him a couple of times. Okay. I met him a couple of times. That's crazy. You know, so I remember when I first met him, he goes, I think he said, are you the little munchkin who thought I was thinks a I'm a king? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So I didn't want to answer. Yeah. I was like pointing to my brother. <laughs> my brother's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, take, taking it back to, to kind of all, all the history that you have, um, you've obviously seen a lot. Uh, you've experienced a lot in, in New York basketball. What would you say is like the most prominent memory you have in your 39 years of coaching? You know, there's so many memories, so many memories. You know, are you a Knicks fan? Well, if you're a Knicks fan, you got memories from 69 and 73. I wish I did. If you're a Nick fan, if you're if you're a Nick fan, you got memories of Larry Johnson. If you're a Nick fan, you got memories of John Starks with the dunk. Yeah. If you're a Net fan, you got memories of Jason Kidd. But if you're Cardozo, it's 1978 hmm. to 1999 and 2014, winning the city championship. City championships. I've been to the championship six times, 
where I spoke at the press conference, the one thing I say, I go, I don't want to win the city championship Saturday. And all my kids look at me like, what is Coach something? <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't want to win Saturday the city championship if 10 years from now or 20 years from now, all of my students, my players, are losers in the game of life. Mm. I'd rather lose, which would hurt. They'll get over it. I'll probably never get over it, but <laughs> I don't want them being losers in the game of life. I can't lose in the game of life. But, <laughs> of course, when the press conference is over and we get back to our practice or our final practice, of course they all bring it up. Coach, yeah. you really mean that? So I said, I do mean it, but you know what? We got to get how this about, W. How about we win in the game of life and win the game yeah, on let's, Saturday? Yeah, let's do both. We can do both. Right. Fifteen years ago, I could still go. And I would play my kids one-on-one. Hmm. Or I'd play in the four-game four with them, half court. Twenty years ago, they had a problem. I remember one kid guarding me that was the point guard in the 2019. That's when I could still go east and west and north and south. Uh-huh. And we busted his, but I didn't miss. He said, I cheated. I used screens. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, fight through the screen. Then I remember a kid that played D1, Shelton McHale. I beat him 21 to 4. Wow. That was the last kid. Now I know I can't. But yesterday we were in the weight room. And the kids are doing all that stuff. You know, and I have... I'm starting to fake like I'm doing something, and they start laughing. They're doing some free weights, and the kids are It's 135 pounds. Yep, Deadlift. with the bar where you you row it up. Oh, okay. And they're doing one. They're doing two. Maybe one kid's doing three. So I make a move. I'm going to start doing it. <laughs> doing your and stretching. They go, and they go and they go. Uh, Coach, man, what are you going to get hurt? I said, "Are you crazy?" He goes. So I whip out. I had about two, three hundred dollars here. I said. Anybody want to bet? You're going to be able to do it one time? I go, one time? I go, I'm going to do it 10 times. Now, I haven't done it in about two or three years. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some benching, so I was a little tight. I managed to do one, two, three, four, five, six. Got a little tight, seven more tight, eight, nine. Please give me one more. And I managed to get my chin, and I dropped it. And I look at them, they were like, oh, crap. <laughs> Because they were doing it. Some couldn't lift it at all. Most maybe could do one or two. And I was bringing it to my chin. All not just bring it yeah. to my neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, it's... <laughs> don't underestimate coach. Yeah, yeah, but that's... I don't know how many more years I'm going to be able to do that. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Royal Ivy. Um, just the trajectory of his career and kind of where he's at today as an assistant coach, I think is a remarkable story. Um, what, what tales do you have of him as far as all your involvement well, with him? You know, tryouts are very important because you can't make a mistake in tryouts. The first day, we have, it's a three-day tryout. Now it's a five-day tryout. Wow. Well, that's what they give you, five days. But Sheesh. So I get all of these kids who can't play. You know, some can't play. We usually have 50 kids, 100 kids. Some years, 150. So the first day is easy because anybody that looks like anything, if you have 150 kids, you just get it down to 80. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy. You don't make a mistake then. If kid shows anything, if you're not sure, you just invite him back. The next day, you know, you get to 80. You know, kids that might look decent, look bad. A couple of new kids come with the medical. So maybe you get it down to 30. So the third day gets a little more. You really got to start doing your Fine homework. Fine-tuning it, yeah. 
the first day, there was something about him. And tryouts were like middle of October. And I go, what size sneaker are you with? He goes, 13. That was your first question to him? <laughs> what size sneaker? Because oh. he looked like he was going to grow. Okay. So I don't say anything. I invite. He's invited back. The next day, there's something about him I like, you know. He can't really get sped up. He's not shooting. He's playing team ball. So I go to him. I go, how old are you? He goes, 13. I go, what? Hmm. I go, when's your birthday? He goes, December 20th. So then the last day, he's a freshman. So I said, I tell the JV coach, this is a kid you got to put on the team. Lo and behold, first report card comes out. He's ineligible. Oh. Gets a 60. That was the last time we ever had a problem with him academically. End of the freshman year, I go to Elmcourt, and I see his father. And we talk, and I said, I think your son has a chance to be real good. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I think he could be real good. I mean, real. what's real good? I said, I mean, I think he could be real good. He think there's a chance in this game he could use this game to do something. He goes, what do you mean? Because his father's a great guy, right? He goes, he didn't really know. I said, you know, he's going to be able to play. I think he can get to college maybe for free. So, whoa. Is it better? To have a parent like that, then yeah, the one, it's got to be, right? Because this parents with some outlandish dreams. Oh, we, we've, I've, had, I've had several parents that, well, you know, we had a parent last year that was, you know, a Tylenol special. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, I've had a couple of parents over the years, you know, but, uh, so then Ryle, as a sophomore, makes the team and he starts playing more. You know, some games he plays more, some games he plays a lot. And we end up getting upset in the playoffs. Oh, no, no, no. We went far in the playoffs, but... So now he's a junior year, he starts. I had one kid that had a problem in school. Next thing you know, he catches pneumonia. He can't play. Hmm. So we're playing Andrew Jackson, which is now campus magnet, and I put him on their best play. I said, Royal. Because we would call him Royal Poison Ivy. I would tell him Poison <laughs> because if you put him on, Royal was a great defensive player. Yeah. And what was great about Royal's size is he could guard the big kids and deny him, which most of the big kids weren't that skilled. But the good, quick guards were 5'10", 5'11", 6 feet. They didn't like having a 6'4", gangly kid with long arms on him. Right. It's real so, uncomfortable. Yeah, so I go, Royal, this game, because this one kid can't play, I need you to... Be a little more Lock him down. Yourself. Yeah. No, be a lot Oh, got it. He ended up having 20 that game. Oh, because <laughs> he was your defensive specialist yeah. until you kind of unleashed him. Yeah. And then senior year, you know, we got upset in the playoffs. Well, Springfield Gardens had a great, great game. Not taking anything away against them, though. Uh, we had a young man, a 6'5 kid who ended up playing for 6'8 now, playing for San Diego State that he didn't do his labs. So... The eighty-five became a fifty-five, because you have a year that you have to do a to certain number. Him. So we don't lose him. The morning of that game, we found out our best player, Brian Woodward, who ended up playing for Rhode Island, and his older brother Dwayne Woodward was an All-City player, played at Boston College, mm. pro overseas, now as a senior hall assistant coach. He couldn't play because he had a torn ACL. So even though Springfield upsets, they they play great. When you're missing two of your top five guys, it's tough. So the following year. You know, that pain of losing stayed with us. And I said, we're always going to keep that pain of losing somewhere in there. We got to keep that pain in there. We got to keep that, that pain. That motivation. Because, because you know what? You only have one more chance. And, you know, I remember we uh, we play Hillcrest, first game of the playoffs at home. Two kids I had 
when I was teaching at ISA, because I was I taught to ISA to about ninety seven. They were seniors. They were crazy kids. They come out and they start hitting threes on me, and I'm like, these two sick kids are hitting them like. But it, we ended up winning that game by about twenty. Hmm. The next game we played Columbus with Jewel Wigan, who played for Rutgers, and that was the only kid Royal had trouble stopping. He had like twenty two on at the half. He ended up with twenty five, and we were down up by one at the half, but we managed to win that game by about eight. The quarterfinals we played at Lehman College, and they had two bums on their team, one named Smush Parker <laughs> and one named Charlie Villanueva, oh, yeah. two NBA players. In fact, Charlie actually scored 50 in an NBA game. Royal and Charlie went to prep school together, didn't they? No, Royal and Luol Dang. Luol Dang. That's it. So now... The semis come, and we're playing Lincoln. We beat Lincoln in overtime earlier in the year in the championship game of Snowflake Classic, and they're popping junk, man. They're popping junk. I mean, they're popping junk. We're hearing it, and I told them don't get caught up in it, and we managed to win that game by 10, and we're excited, but we still haven't done anything. In fact... Every game went its course. We're playing John F. Kennedy. We were the two seed. Kennedy is the eight seed. They upset Roberson. And I'm saying, gee, maybe it would have been better if they didn't upset him because we matched up really good with Roberson. But Kennedy had a couple of good players. You know, they have a great coach in Johnny Mathis. They run a 1-1-3 amoeba. And I know playing at the Garden... The rims are going to be tough. And unless we can get layups, and even then, kids aren't used to the backboard being, you know, white clean where it skids sometimes mm-hmm. instead of being soft. And I don't want to take the whole team to the press conference because I don't want to miss in school. I take three kids to the press conference. Ryan Special Effects Williams, Royal Ivy, and Brian Woodward. And I didn't want to miss in class, so the quickest way was to go by the railroad. It's 26 minutes in, 26 minutes out. I can get them, you know. So they know to meet me at a spot. They see me, and I got a suit on. And I never wear a suit. I never wear a suit. And we're on the train, and so they start laughing at me at the suit with the tie and everything. So, they, so Ryan goes, he goes, Coach, you're not wearing a suit on Sunday. So I said, fellas, you know, we're at the garden. The PSAL kind of asked me or kind of told me, you know, you got to wear a suit. So they were like, what? So they, they were like, didn't say anything. So now we get off the train, walking upstairs to the press conference, and they start getting mad at me, like, your coach, man, you bugging. What are you talking about? He goes, he goes you're not wearing a suit. He goes, he goes, listen, I'm going to wear a suit. I mean, he goes, Coach, you told us never to change, to do everything mm. the same way. Now you change it? So I said, I cut it out. So the press conference is over. So now I meet I meet them all at Cardozo. When I first, because we were all going to go take, you know, go together at the garden because I didn't want any kid oversleeping. Whatever. So we had everybody, like a chain call, everybody's up. And the game was at 3 o'clock. So now... It's 11 o'clock, and I got smart. In the old days, if it was 11 o'clock, we were going to leave for a game or a scrimmage. 
I get there ten thirty, and I wait, and I wait, because you know kids are always a couple minutes late. Mm-hmm. So now my eighteenth year, I realize if I say eleven, let them be there at eleven. I show up about ten after eleven because I'm not waiting. Yeah, well, as soon as wait, you get there, if I'm gonna wait, at least now I'm not gonna be that late. But I can't leave anybody, you know, behind. It is so. And what's always amazing too, kids that are always late on a Saturday practice have never ever been late for when we played the city championship game. Shocker. Yeah, they was like, where are you, where are you? So we get there, they see my car, and they're all ready to go, they're standing outside, and they get out in a suit. And they're like, they feel like we lost the game. Wow, you saw the deflated look? I couldn't believe it. So then I open up my trunk and I show them I had my stuff in a little, you know, little bag. So I don't know. So we get to the garden. We go upstairs. We're playing. Uh, we're up two nothing. Next thing you know, things are going wrong. Can't hit shots. Elvis Rivera hits two threes. I don't think he hit a three the whole season. And I'm replaying it. And every everything was off. Next thing you know, we're down. Now we're down five at the half. We got ten minutes. And. My team, I can sense they they lost their bug and they start to fight. They're on the court. Why did you pass that? So, so we know we don't want to start a fight in front of the crowd. So, we try to rush them back into the locker room. And I'm saying, oh, I can't believe this. Freaking my worst fear. Number eight Kennedy is going to upset number two Cardoza. So I quickly wanted to get look at the book. So my manager at the desk looking at the book. I wait an extra minute or two to get the actual stats. That's the one advantage when you play at the Garden or, or Barclays. You actually see, you know, actual, the real stats. Yeah, Turnovers, always, assists, yeah. what you're shooting, the whole bit. So, as I walk in, they have me do another interview. So now I miss about four or five minutes. Now hmm. it's down to about six minutes, five minutes to get the second half to start. Because the Knicks were playing that night. In fact, Jeff Van Gundy was at the game. Hmm. You know, he didn't want to say hello to me at halftime. <laughs> so... I walk into the locker room, and I'm just shaking my head. And they're all listening to Billy Medley. So I quickly grab the chalk, and I go over how we're going to change things on the amoeba. It's because we got to force the drive. And like as I quickly say it, Billy goes, Ron, cut the crap. He goes, they know it. They know it. I go, Billy. So I get to a yeah. So you go, cut the crap. They got something to say to you. So Royal gets up, and Royal goes, he goes, Coach, we're losing because of you. Mm. And I got me, I go, what do you mean? I'm not the guy that... Right, I'm not on the court. Guy. Like, what are you doing? He goes, no, we're losing you because, listen, we did. We believe that you said we're going to do it the right way every wow. day, every day, and God's going to bless us, and you changing us. He goes, that's it. And he goes, we're not going out there. And then he stopped. He goes, he goes to Ryan. So Ryan goes, he goes, Coach, we're not going out there to hell with this. We're going to leave right now unless you change. Keep so they threw it. So threw now I look you. up, there was 2.23 to go with the clock winding down. Because when you're in a locker room at a major college or a, or pro, a pro, pro team, arena. you actually see how much time's on the clock. So next thing you know, they run out. And I quickly change. I run out. The game was on TV. And my quick... The MSG announcer going, the Clarios changed clothes. Like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> and next thing you know, 
Mike Salamanca hits a three to put us up two with six minutes to go. You know, we stem the tide. You know, Ryan Special Effects Williams gets his dunk with 48 seconds to go to put us up six. Then we get a steal with 10 seconds to, uh, no, 18 seconds to go, and they foul. Mike, we're up eight with eight seconds to go. Now we know we're not losing, and that was when all Bedlam broke loose. Wow. That's a hell of a story. What year was that? 1999. Okay, that was the, March the championship run. March 14th. Yeah, That's amazing. You, um, again, been coaching high school for a long time. Has there ever been an opportunity for you to coach collegiately? I have to imagine there has been. You just, for some reason, didn't you know accept. What? I, I mean, I think my assistants say a lot of people might be scared of me because I'm blunt. Yeah. I'll tell a kid or a parent exactly what it is. I never wanted to leave New York. So if you offered me the head job of UCLA, I'm not going. I wanted to be in New York. I think your players would kick your ass. My if, goal. If that was the opportunity. My goal. My goal was to coach St. John's. Okay. If it was college. That was where I wanted to be. Coach Garnaseca, who's like an uncle to me, mm-hmm. knew it. Uh, they all knew it. That was my dream. And I put all my eggs in that basket. If not, I wanted to coach the Knicks or the Nets. In fact, I remember after that game when we won, I spoke to Jeff Van Gundy, mm. which oddly enough, if he would have lost that game that night, he was going to get fired. As uh. But they managed to win, and the rest is history for him. And he told me he doesn't have an opening, but if an opening ever came, he would definitely sit down with me. Shit. So now Brendan Malone, the assistant who coached Powell Memorial, who also was the baseball coach at Powell Memorial, who I knew well, even asked me, aren't you getting tired of high school? So I said, a little. Takes the job, assistant job at Indiana. Mm-hmm. Now I can't get a hold of <laughs> He's brand new now. Uh, <laughs> hey, Brendan, if you're hearing this, let's, let's talk. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> And Jeff, you know, I couldn't get a hold of him to, to try to go for that spot. But, yeah. you know, and listen, God has a story that he's writing and, you know, I don't know. I'm still here. You but know, if that opportunity well, presented Royal, itself. Royal's father told me. Yeah. And then Royal told me twice, coach, not if. When I get an NBA head job, I'm taking you with me. There you go. So I said, you know what? If you get one, I might be dumb enough then to finally leave <laughs> I mean you've said it countless times like see coaching college right now would be tough okay because I'm not kissing these kids asses mm. that don't deserve to be kissed I have to kiss their behind to try to con them to come to my school yeah. to play for me no basically I would say this you come to me four years you're going to have a degree you're going to become a better person you become a better student you're going to become a better player you're going to use me for life, to make your life better. And you're going to use the context of this university to get a great job. If you don't like it, I'm going to fake your letter, your name on the letter of intent and sign it. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I don't want you. But I Because I know the kids today are, cra- are shot. No, and it's, I mean, it's one the one and done era. You know, that's what everybody's thinking about. So you, you would, okay, no, well, you would I mean, obviously not be. We had a kid. <clears throat> oh, yeah, what was it? How many kids? This was a, this is a nutty story. Love nutty kid, stories. Kid comes to me. 
Oh, kid comes in, he's a transfer, he's a junior. The father, you know, he said all the right things. I love coach, he's going to do this for me. So, he's butting heads, and the kid's butting heads with my assistants. And I'm not acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. I'm not acknowledging it. So, it's getting to the point where I have to do something because the kid's not listening. Kid's not following any plays. He's doing his thing. He thinks it's, you know, like Diana Ross and the Supremes. This kid and Cardoso. Right. No, we, we are a we program. We're not a me program. Yeah, you can get a, you know, it's like pizza pie philosophy. You can get a slice or two of the pie. You can get the whole pie. But you know what? The pie belongs to Cardozo basketball. So, it's getting a little obnoxious. And I know I'm not going to argue with this father. This father would come in. If you told him two and two is four... He'd argue with you until he died that two and two was three or two and two was five. So he comes in and he says, you guys are hurting my son's chances of being a one and done when he gets to college. So we'll That like, was his goal? One and done. <laughs> so he says it again. Now, they get into this argument with the parents, you know, and, and I don't say anything. So he goes... Are you bubbling inside? Like, you just... Like, but, but like, you know, like... My father would say this. If you talk to a moron, mm. then you are a moron. Yes. So I'm like taking this in and like they're getting heated. So then the parent goes, Coach, don't you think my son, because the kid was a junior, don't mm. you think if my son works hard, he has a chance of being a one and done? <laughs> so I go, certainly. So that was the end. The father walks out. You see McClaros. So my parent, my, my assistants don't talk to me. Okay. For about a half hour, an hour. So I'm running practice, and I can see they're, they're really mad. So they, they, now I'm ready to collect the balls. They grab me. They go, Why'd you coach, do that? Why'd you say he's a one and done? He goes, do you really think he's a one and done? I go, yeah. They go, what? I go, yeah. One year he'll play for us, and we'll be done with him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. So you, uh, with respect to how you get talent, right? How, how did, I, I guess maybe recruiting is the wrong word. Well, you, like, you, are, it... you are legally, and Donald Douglas, the PSAL director, said you are illegally, just like principals are allowed to go to junior highs and tell kids about your school, about your, school, right. about your program, and you can do that. Yeah. You can't go to another rival high school and do that. Yeah. You know? Uh, you can't entice a kid to leave. So, But what has happened is over the years, we were out there so much. My assistants, Mike Bissett, Rob Moses. Rob Moses has been with me like five years now. Hmm. Coach Mike Bissett, who actually played for me and whose nephew plays for Miami football now, uh, should be a, a high draft pick in about three, four years, hmm. football, defensive line. He's been with me like 20, and then Billy Medley's been with me like 24, 25. So we know. And you know what? Success breeds success. Yeah. And we know who the good kids are. And one of the biggest things that we have to find out is who really wants to come and is deserving of coming to Cardozo that we would love to coach that academically can handle it in eighth grade because it is so hard to get in. It's I competitive, mean, yeah. Schools like Francis Lewis, schools like Cardozo, schools like Midwood, schools like Bayside, if they have to take in eight, nine hundred, a thousand kids per class, they're getting eight, 9,000 people applying for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think of it, so many kids said, I'm going to Cardoza. Why? I put it down number one. 
on my application part. That doesn't mean you get it. Ah, it works. Yeah. You know, you know. I mean, what hurts is so many kids you get to know from other teams because not only have I helped so many Cardozo kids, there've been so many kids from other high schools that I've helped get into colleges or you know certain camps that will get exposure. And a lot of high school coaches call me and say, Coach. You know, you know, my point guard, yeah, he's good. He goes, he goes, listen, I don't have the contacts you have. Can you make a few phone calls? And mm. I've made some, and they've gotten seen or they've gotten scholarship. There was a kid that I just got into a prep school that couldn't play a senior year because we found out he was a 50 kid. He's down at a prep school in North Carolina where if he does his thing, he'll probably get a, a low Division One scholarship. So, you know, there were kids that I talked to, and I said, listen, you know, I would have loved to have coached you. Coach, uh, I put down Cardoza number one. I didn't get accepted. Mm. I said, oh, my God. So the people out there think for every kid that I'm going out and recruiting or selecting or getting into school. Uh, like, it's, it's that easy. It's not. It's, it's not, not that easy. You know I mean? There's a lot there of variables. Schools, you know, there are some hood schools yeah. that nobody's fighting to get into. Right. Forget basketball. You're not fighting to get into them just as a, as a kid to send your daughter or your son there. So, you know. Like anything, it's a lot harder to get into Harvard, Yale, and Princeton sure. than it is to get into Queensborough community or Bronx community. Yep. <laughs> you know? No, it's just a matter of looking. That doesn't mean you can't go to Queensborough or Bronx community and be a star in life, or just because you got into Harvard, Yale, or Princeton that you're going to Makes be, you any better than you know, anybody else, yeah. You know, you, you want to put the odds on your side. When you became a head coach, you started a tradition of an annual uh, Reun- reunion. Uh, I know it was intended. Well, I didn't for... start. I didn't start it originally. I started it in like two thousand three or four. Oh, I thought it was all the way back then. No, no. Okay. No, I started it halfway through. Okay. Because you know what? With all of me playing, every kid that went to Cardoza knew that I still wanted to play. So I would go to parks and look for games. So I made it a, an annual. You know what it would be: August, September, October before it got cold or. April, May, June, let's go to 46 Park on 219th Street and 64th Avenue for a run. You were like, I need to go bust some ass. Yeah, so they would come, and that would be, it would be a happening. You know, it was great because I would see the kids getting better, working hard. Plus, then the kids were different. If the coach was around, they didn't want to fool around. They wanted to impress the coach. Right. Now, the kids will walk back on defense right in front of you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but uh, it was good. And then, you know, it's amazing for that park. That park has had more NBA players hmm. playing it than any nondescript park in the country. I mean, Mark Jackson, Lamar Odom, Ronnie Artest, Khalid Reeves, Royal Ivy, Ray Ferralston, Dwayne Coswell, Lloyd Daniels, Mark wow. Macon, I can go on and on and on, you know, that have just showed up because it was the run. You know, and it runs because we used to, when the, we used to play 11, threes would count as twos. But, you know, if there was a lot of people, we would make it seven. So, you know, you better not, Get the quick you runs. Better not lose. Yeah. It's amazing. And it, it, I know it's like an, I mean, like like I said, an annual thing now. And, like, people are, like, planning their lives around it now. Like, you got people that have left the area that are coming in from all over the place now. How are you, how are you keeping it consistent? Because that's well, got to be a little difficult, it, It's no? hard because so many people have moved away. So many people have had kids where now all of a sudden on a Saturday in June – you know, oh, coach, I want to come, but my, my kids got Little League or they got that. But uh, what has also happened out there is so many former players, there's about 20, 25 that moved to Atlanta mm. and cheerleaders and Cardoza people. So three years ago, we had a reunion in Atlanta. 
Wow. Two years ago, it got really, really big. We had about 100 people. And so we, we didn't want to do it every year, so we're going to do it every other year. So it's going to be July 30th, 31st, and August 1st of 2000. Uh, well, Martin Luther King III came to Cardozo October 23rd, 2014, to thank me. <laughs> uh, and Was that your first time meeting him? Meeting him, okay. yes. And so I told the principal that you know, he wanted to meet the kids because he heard about me as a coach. So the principal said, Ron, how about having him meet the whole school? You know, this is historic. Yeah. So he had a special auditorium set up. They didn't know who the person was. And I was nervous because the weather was supposed to be really bad that day, raining. But he got on a plane with Reverend Al Cohen who's done the documentary when Harlem Saved the King. And they, it was, it was supposed to start at 10. I called it about 8.30 and don't worry, we just landed, so I felt good. Because hmm. it was going to be a lot of rain that day and possible flights canceled. But uh, when he gave his speech and he thanked me, and when we hugged on stage, they, half the place was in tears. That was... That was a story. Yeah, I saw a picture of that hug. Yeah, and then and then we had a <clears throat> little post party get together, and uh, you know he said he goes, Coach, if your father didn't do what he did, I would never have been born. And that civil rights movement wouldn't have yeah. made oh, it as yeah. far as it did. Yeah, it didn't get going. Yeah, everything Dr. King did great was after the date September twentieth, nineteen fifty-eight. And what also was amazing was, I brought stuff with me that he might be interested in seeing. I have a book with letters from his mother, his wow. grandfather. Uh, then I showed him, he goes, Coach, what was the gift? Because in the letter it says, the gift. I said, here in the box. I never opened up the box. Hmm. But I, I mean, I did 30, I knew what was in it. It was a nice, beautiful keychain, keychain and a wallet that now has got to be 62 years old, hmm. 61 years old. And... We opened it, we were stunned because in it is a little card that says, Dear Dr. Naclario, may God bless you, love, Martin Luther King. Mm. So I was like, stunned. And so now, I think it was July 29th, 2017, and for a week or so, I'm calling the King Pavilion to try to tell him, and then... Originally, they thought I was a cool I said, listen, I'm not a cool My father, check it out. I'm a Martin, you know, if you want, right? So, all of a sudden now, on Wednesday, I get a phone call from Kennedy Mack, the family's liaison. Mm -hmm. They go, Martin Third is out of the country. He won't be here. But his oldest daughter, Bernice, is landing tomorrow. She'll be here. She's would love to meet you. Can you come by? So I land Thursday. I get a phone call from Kennedy Mac that Bernice will be back in town in a couple hours. She would love. Can you possibly come by tomorrow around 11 or 12? So, you know, Pat's getting ready for the whole weekend. He's driving around Atlanta. So he drops me off at the King Pavilion about 10. And I have my cell phone on. And I'm walking around, you know, because to me, that's historic. Yeah. And 
Of course, I go back to the King Pavilion. Oh, no, that was the first time I was at the King Pavilion. I've been there since. And I'm walking around. Oh, no, I was at another time. A couple of, In 2002, I went there. When I got an award with John Wood and, and Dave Gavitt, when the Final Four was in Atlanta, I walked to the King Pavilion. And I asked to see Coretta Scott King and them, yeah. but they weren't around. Okay, so I I went back to where they actually had the suit that Dr. King was wearing when he got stabbed. And the shoes. So I'm there, and I'm like, whoa, man. And I'm st- People are coming by. And, uh... So I start talking to them, and they go, boy, it seems like you know a lot about this. What are you, a historian? Well, I'm not really a historian, but I said, I'd like to share this with you. And they looked, they go, who's Dr. Neclario? After my father. And they would, people wanted to start taking pictures with me. So now it's about 10 to 11, and I get a phone call. Oh, Bernice is here. She's hoping you're here. I said, no, I'm on the campus. Mm-hmm. So I walk, and I meet him. And when I first meet her, she gives me a hug, and I just had some tears. She goes, coach. She knew I was a coach. She goes, coach, why do you have tears? They go, every time I see Dr. King, you know, I think of my father, and, you know, and, you know, we talk, and, you know, which next thing you know, a half hour becomes an hour, and I said, listen, Bernice, I would love for you to speak to my mother. Definitely. So I called my mother. That was, she died, that was July 29, 2017. My mom passed away April 2nd, 2018. Hmm. But I put her on the phone. They were on the phone for about an hour, an hour and 15 wow. minutes. And she, I heard us, you know, you can hear not what my mom's saying, but you can kind of get the gist hearing what Bernice is saying. And she's saying, uh, you know, if your husband didn't succeed, I wouldn't have been born. <laughs> so, and then she gets off the phone. We, we, we speak for another half hour. You know, I go up to her office. And next thing you know, you know, she had to continue with her day. And I had to, that was, now it's about three, three and a half hours. But before we leave, you know, I said, can I take a picture? She goes, no, coach, I got to take a picture with you. Hmm. So she takes a picture, and I get it. And this by, now it's about 3 o'clock. By 5 or 6 o'clock, I'm getting phone calls. What's going on? Text. I didn't know that Bernice blasted it out on Instagram Social and media. Facebook. Yeah. You know, so honored to meet Ron DeClario the son of Dr. Amel. Dr. Amel Leclerc was the son, was, was the, fa- the surgeon that saved my father's life. I'm so honored, blah, blah, blah. Then she she, she must have did some background checks. She goes, Coach Leclerc is the winning. Let's go, you know. So, I mean, I was honored. I still have a picture of that in my cell phone. I have copies upstairs. You know. That's a story. That's awesome. So you, you've crossed the 800 win mark. You're at 820-something now. The, uh-huh. mo- the winningest New York State public school coach and New York City public. and New York City yeah. what was that like that moment when that honor when now I, is when yours I, when I when I got the city record it was against an arch rival Chuck Ramby oh so who, that's a sweet one then. who passed who passed away and we were bitter rivals but in the, in the end we be, you know we started talking and stuff and uh, it kind of hit me but then it really hit me when uh, 753 to become the winningest public school because people were making it a big thing. There were articles in all the papers. Not there weren't articles and stuff when it was 723, but, you know, it started hitting me. Now, you know, you're at the pinnacle and uh, 
you know, I get a phone call. I'm getting texts from a guy named Petrie. And I'm saying the only Petrie I know is a guy named Ed Petrie who had the record and a guy named Jeff Petrie who played for Princeton in the Portland Trailblazers mm-hmm. who ended up being a GM. It was it was Petrie's son. Uh, and he wanted to, you know, say, you know. Congratulate you. You know, or, or when I was about to do it, saying, listen, we're going to here be rooting for you. You know what? Well, it's an honor just the fact that my father's name, because he passed away several mm. years, just the fact that we're hearing his name again because you're bringing it up because of what you've done. You know, I know my father would have, if my father was alive, he probably would come to the game rooting for you. So it was really good, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. What's what's your intention? Because you've been, you've been at it a long time. No, no sign in your mind of of retirement or passing the baton. Like, how do you look at it from this vantage uh, point? I'm such a, I'm such a intense competitor. Co- competitor. You don't see it here, but if you see a game, you can see. Uh, I never look at the finish line. You know, I mean, I I mm. think twenty or thirty years ago, I I would look at. All right, am I going to do this to get to college? Am I going to do this to get to the pros? Am I going to do this to get to college? Am I going to do this to get to the pros? And I was so intent with making Cardozo the best basketball school in New York City, academically, socially, and basketball-wise, because other people would say they're, you know, they don't see they don't know. Every school has its pitfalls of how hard it is to win. Now you might be at a hood school, and the parent might not want to send their kid there. So now you have to convince the parent that. For Cardoza, we don't have any projects in his own. Mm-hmm. In the history of Cardoza, I've only had four players that helped me win a game in the history of the zone. So every kid comes out of the zone. Now, if you come from out of the zone, can you get in if you apply? If you do get in, are you coming from a junior high school academic that academically prepared you for Cardoza? So it's almost weird. If you're a really weak student, you're better off probably having a, an IEP where we can give you special services. That's, and that's not. crazy. Because if you don't, because it's it's challenging. Yeah, yeah, I you mean, can't really get you know, And I try to tell the kids, if you were in junior high school and you walked up to the teacher and you punched the teacher, you'd be in trouble. Oh, yeah, coach, I'd be in trouble. So I said, let me just tell you something. On an, an analogy, if you miss two homeworks at Cardozo, you're late. Twice you cut once. That's the same thing as punching a teacher. Mm. You're not going to pass. You know, and a couple of kids had to learn the hard way. They learned the hard way. They go, "Hey, coach, you're right. If I don't do this, I'm not going to pass." <laughs> no shit. Yeah, so, you know, so, but you know what? Sometimes I look back and I need a new challenge. One of the new challenges might be like there were people trying to push me to get involved with the city. You know, trying to teach coaches. How to become better coaches. Like running clinics and that kind running of thing? Running clinics. Are you still cl- going to clinics? Yeah, I'm still, I was at a clinic two weeks ago with Stan Van Gundy, the USA Basketball. They didn't, they were, I've done stuff for USA Youth Basketball. Okay. And I was with them. They said they should have had me back on the panel. I was not disappointed, but, you know, he goes, the next time we're in the metropolitan area. But that's something I want to do. I would love to start going around the country, not only to Martin Luther King stuff, teaching coaches how to coach. Parents, how to become better parents. Jesus, that's important. Parents, how to guide their kid through the process. Mm -hmm. You know, if you really think your kid's good, but like your kid thinks he's NBA good, but maybe he's only Division II good, well, that's still pretty good. If your son can get enough of this guy, how to use it and how to coach the kids to get better. A lot of kids go to the park every day, work on their game, but they're not getting better because they don't know what specifically to work on. Right. 
you know? And then, you know, that's one of the things at the end. I mean, I see all the money these guys are making. And, like, like we had we had the, uh, the reunion this year, September 21st. We didn't have it in June because my heart wasn't in it, having it at Cardozo because after not having my iconic Your office. Your office, yeah. Which, which killed me. You know, it still kills me. You know, in fact, I told the principal taking that office would be like my mother dying a second time. Wow. And I don't think she I don't think she understood. But I mean, it was it, it could have gotten ugly. I mean, I know National Action Network was gonna come in because I didn't realize it that the majority of those pictures are black kids. Oh I didn't know. They they're my kids. I don't look at it as black or white. Right, right, right. Uh then I mean it's it's a it's a landmark. The, then all it the used Martin, to be a landmark. Then all the Martin Luther King stuff there. The Coretta Scott King stuff there. You know, just to be... Now, if she would have said, we have to take it and put it in the library, just to take it and not put it anywhere? Yeah, no. Shame, shame. Yeah, and you know what? You know, I'm hearing a lot of things that make it realize that I might not be the only person in disagreement with her. The fact that the office is not vibrant now being used, it's sad, because when you're 100% loved... 20% of the people hope you drop dead in a minute. The 20% of the people who drop dead in a minute are Cardozo might be a little jealous of, you know, because when you say Cardozo, you're thinking you're synonymous, yeah. that what she did was wrong and she could have put it elsewhere and was getting an annex once it starts being built two, three years, the ROTC should be there and it's like, I can't believe, the, I can't believe it and then what also makes it really disheartening is that I heard rumors from reliable sources and I checked them out that she applied for the principal's job at Baldwin High School and interviewed. I said, no way. But I found out it was true. So that really hurts that hmm. she's coming in doing this. And trying to get out of here. And trying to get out. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's to a me, shame. I never thought of leaving Cardoza. So it's like, so that's why inside my guts, my, my there's so much pain that, you know, unfortunately I have to live with. Would I like to rebuild the office? I mean, I have the file cabinets. I have a lot of the pictures. The custodians took everything down. Can I rebuild it? It would kill me to rebuild it, but to rebuild it might make me feel better than not, not having, having it. it. Yeah. You know, because that was a happening. I mean, kids would come by... Kids that don't know anything about basketball would look in there. A couple of Chinese kids that don't even speak. Hmm. And they come in, they look, and we look, and next thing you know, I give them a copy of the letter from Martin Luther King. They're like, who's this? And like, your father? Next thing you know, they come by the next day. Oh, my, my parents want to meet you. My parents need a picture. <laughs> me told me to take a picture. So it's like, and, and I don't think she realized it. And the significance. I have a lady named Anaya A. who's become a publicist. And she's done a lot of stuff, doing stuff with National Network, getting me out there on speaking engagements, and hopefully so much more. And she got a copy of last year's USA Today, the national newspaper. Yep. And the front page of the sports section on October 15th or 16th was my office. Hmm. And I'm saying, the USA Today thought this was national news. And... The line was talking about, you know, now that Bob Hurley has 
retired, no more St. Anthony's. Mm -hmm. Coach Nicolario has become the most iconic coach in the East and is the most iconic coach in the history of the PSL. And I'm saying, if that's true, how do you not keep that office? Mm. There's no debating here. I agree, I mean, 100%. I mean, and, and, I, and I think, I, I mean, I don't know what, I can't think, but, but I mean, I'm very respectful when I see her. The pain is there. The pain is still there. Yeah. Has the pain gone away? I don't know, like I said, taking away that office would be like burying my mother a second time. Wow, that's really tough. Um, on a slightly lighter note, this there's a, I say a second career that most people don't know about you. Uh, I heard you're you're a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> now, being a rapper, who told you that? Eh, I got my sources. <laughs> Are there any any rhymes you got? cooked up in there that you want to spit to the audience this is the first time I'm doing this so I might appear a little nervous you all know me from coaching I put in over 40 years of service you look at me and you see I'm a middle-aged honky but don't try to play me like I'm a full-fledged donkey try to set the youth on the right well with words of persuasion so many times it falls on deaf ears it's in system of Caucasian mad respect cause I taught so many it's a question of who's who so do my thing with passion the hood knows how Skip got his loo a ball or hoop card working a dream when I push him I'll get in their face can they handle when I scream everyone loves a player in the court who hustles and dives I wanted to coach basketball I ended up coaching lives people see me coach they say I'm hyper they say I'm too intense they say I'm totally crazy 20 years ago I did this I would have been Jay-Z <laughs> I got a lot more lines but you know and with that that's another episode of Dribbling Dimes. From my man, Ron Clario, I'm Manny Digital. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribbling Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.